Now, when we were reading the Bible passage, some of you were saying, man, what a weird dream. However, you should come by our house in the morning and hear my wife's dreams. <laughs> I won't say that she dreams about the lion and the bear and the leopard and then this terrible creature with teeth of iron, uh, but uh, some of her dreams are pretty weird. Now, does that happen in your house too? Yeah, no. Okay. Okay, I've got to open this thing. All right, we'll, we'll try and do that. <clears throat> so, the, this dream culminates, however, with a vision of the Ancient of Days, of God establishing His throne, and then of a person who appears in the clouds. And this individual is given all authority over all nations and has an everlasting dominion. Does that sound like anybody that you've heard about before? And you see, this is a story of four successive empires, the last being the Roman Empire. And in the midst of this comes the king. The Son of Man on clouds to establish His kingdom. Now you remember that last week we were looking at I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you'll remember that I said this is a prophecy which has been fulfilled before everybody's eyes. Because when the Lord Jesus spoke those words, He spoke it to a mere handful of people. And here we are some 2,000 years later, and there are 2.3 billion people who are following Jesus. That's easy to see. And of course, another prophecy that was really easy to see, the Lord Jesus said that they will persecute you. The most persecuted people on earth are followers of Jesus. 245 million people. You remember that when we talked about that last week? Now, as I was looking at this passage, I realized that there are a number of pieces that are really valuable for us to look at. Because when the conversation begins near Caesarea Philippi, the Lord turns to his disciples and he says to them, Who do men say that the Son of Man is? Now, how often in this last week have you used the phrase, the Son of Man? That's a little weird to us, isn't it? And so that's why I think there's value in us taking enough time to unpack this and understand the significance of this. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the peculiarities of this in a moment. But I want to talk about uh, yesterday. Jim, I see you back there. I asked him if I could use some of his material. Jim gave a great testimony of how God had been at work in his life. Jim Cherney. If you don't know Jim, you need to know Jim, right? And uh, he gave the illustration about uh, who's in the driver's seat uh, in your life, right? And is it you or is it Jesus? And then where is Jesus if Jesus is in, isn't in the driver's seat? Is he in the passenger seat? Is he in the back seat? Or maybe he's in the trunk. And Jim, I was thinking a little bit beyond that. 
Maybe you forgot him at the last stop. He's not even in the car. Or maybe you drive right past him, maybe jeering. Who is this Jesus anyway? Good. Good to think about this. And of course, Jim was making the point of how important it is to have Jesus in the driver's seat. But there is still something that is not quite there. If we think that we can be in the driver's seat, you know, in Ontario we do have uh, different classes of license. Well, let me tell you, for the journey that we're on, for the destination that we're on, none of us actually have a license that qualifies us for this journey. There's only one who is qualified. You'll know that uh, very often there is a master pilot to enter particular harbors because of how dangerous it is to maneuver in. And I can tell you that in this journey of life, there is only one who is qualified to steer us to safe harbor. So, as we... Oh, good grief. I'm not talking about boats or cars. I'm talking about mountains now. How did I end up there? Stick with me, all right? Because this is all about the journey that we're on and understanding why we need the Son of Man. Okay? So, Andrew, you look pretty fit. Less and less so each year, okay? All right, how'd you like to take your family up on a trek to the summit of Mount Everest? Not very much. In fact, you probably heard the report about the latest individual who died trying to make it to the top of Mount Everest. I'm going to tell you a little bit about several mountains, and hopefully you'll follow with me. Are you still with me? Yeah? Okay. So the first mountain I'm showing you is not one that people climb, but it is a mountain that I saw on my last trip uh, to India. And what is spectacular about this particular mountain, it's the third highest in the Himalayas, and you'll see that it is 28,000 and some feet, or 8,500 meters high, is that you can see the sun rising and then begin to illuminate the darkness, and it shows up on the face of this mountain. And you happen to be on a hill called Tiger Hill, and that's at about 2,500 meters of height, over 8,000 feet. So you get up real early, and you climb and climb and climb. Thankfully, we did it in the taxi. <sighs> and we get to Tiger Hill, and there are thousands of people gathering to watch the sunrise and then to illuminate this glorious mountain. It's quite special. Now, I was there actually on mission, but, you know, along the way, why not take in some of the grandeur of what God's created, right? Uh, there's, there's a backstory that I can't uh, tell you because this is being recorded, and some of it is, uh, is a little confidential, uh, and we don't want to create any difficulties for me or anybody else, so we won't tell it. But here's this spectacular mountain. But here is Mount Everest. Most everybody knows about Mount Everest. 
So if you took Mount Everest and laid it over on its side, it would reach almost to Blythe. And imagine climbing that kind of height. Unbelievable. And it is a dangerous mountain to climb, but it is not the most dangerous. Here's another mountain. It's called Nanga Parbat. I'm certain you've heard of that. And it's in Pakistan. And about initially, about 77% of those who tried to climb it died. Now it's down to one in three. Count. One, two, three. You're dead. Okay? All right? One, two, three. You're dead. Dangerous, right? So who'd like to go on an excursion? Pastor Ernest led an excursion to Saugeen Reserve. Did you come back with everybody? You made it and you came back. Praise God. God bless the work that's happening on the Saugeen Reserve with the Braggs. They're doing a wonderful work of sharing the transforming message of the gospel of the Son of Man. But let's understand that we are on a journey that is more dangerous than this ascent. Did you get that? In fact, nobody will make it if they try and go on their own. So count them off. One, two, three, four, five. Everybody is going to die if they try and do it on their own. Here's one more, K2. You've probably heard of this one, the second highest peak. And this one is, has never been climbed in winter because it's so difficult. And there have been around 300 successful summits and 77 fatalities. That sounds grim. But understand what the stats are for trying to make it to heaven on your own. How many fatalities? All. Oh. 100%. Okay? And that's why, friends, we need to pay attention to this message about the Son of Man. Okay? Now, you may have heard this little story about the climber who fell over the side of the mountain, was hanging on by a root, and he's calling, Help! 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 And he isn't getting anybody to respond. And eventually he starts calling, Help! God! Help! God! Help! And after a bit, he hears a voice saying, This is God. And he says, Oh, thank you, thank you. So help me get up, help me get up. And the voice of God says, All right, the first thing I want you to do is to let go of the root. And then he says, Help! Help! Anybody else up there? <laughs> and friends, when it comes to relating to the Lord, too often we're like that. We're interested on God, in God's help on our terms. And guess what? You and I will both be disappointed. I think both of us can... Uh, all of us can tell enough stories about trying to get help on our own terms. I remember when I was in French West Africa back in 73, there was a young American woman who was working with the Peace Corps, 
and who was down on God because she had taken a sick friend all over the world in order to find help for her. She was very disappointed with God. And that's because she was looking for God on her own terms. Where did God ever promise us that we would not get sick and we would not die? Have you found that scripture? It doesn't exist. What we have is God telling us the truth. That even if we don't get an answer here, he, has, he catches us and we are safe in his hands. I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, what? Will never die. Okay? Why? Because we have a perspective that is more than simply these scant few years that we have on earth. And so it's a really good question. Am I like this? Am I in a difficult spot? Am I disappointed with God because he's not answering on my terms? Well, I can tell you there's a lot of prayers I've made in which God's praise God has not answered on my terms because if it were, how poor that answer would be. Let's understand who we are invited to come and follow. This Jesus has 280 names and titles. Go through your Bible. And so let's respect who he is. Let's get to know him. Let's not ignore him. Let's listen to him. Let's do more than the Sunday go-to-meeting thing. Let's make Jesus the very fabric of our lives. That was one of the good things in Jim's testimony. But understanding that we walk every moment of every day in God's presence. We say in the way of Jesus sayings, I have begun following Jesus. Well, let's understand who he is and why this title, the Son of Man. And of course, we've already given you the scripture that is the key background to this in Daniel chapter 7, in which Daniel says he had this vision and he saw someone who was like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So this is the vision that is given to Daniel several hundred years before the coming of Jesus. The book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, picks up this vision, this prophecy, and gives it its fuller sense. Because walking in the midst of the uh, churches is someone like a son of man, a very intentional reference to Daniel chapter 7. And there we read that John saw him, fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. Is Easter so far gone from our memories that we do not live in the reality of his presence? And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Friends, every one of us has to face death. And you face it either alone or you face it with him. Now, interesting is that Revelation actually pulls the imagery 
of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man together. Because you see, this is the revelation that Jesus brought. That the Son of Man is actually God himself. As the Lord Jesus said more than once, I and the Father are one. And Jesus has universal authority. All power in heaven and earth is given unto me, he says. Therefore, we have a mission to the world, right? To go and share the good news. Now, at this point, though, I am going to take a little risk, okay? Some of you, it may be boring, all right? Because it has to do with understanding how language works. And I'm going to start in English. Aren't you glad? So, the word man. We use the word man in a lot of ways, okay? One way is man as opposed to woman. We were talking about the joys of married life, weren't we there? Oh, over coffee. Okay, a person or a human being, we might say a man. Or mankind, we might say. Or having masculine characteristics like be a man. Or the one that you're looking for. Oh, you're the man I'm looking for, right? Do those sound like things that you say? Yeah, okay. And uh, maybe the man who has particular authority or power. So the guys on the street, what are they, uh, tr who are they trying to avoid? They're trying to avoid the man, that is the police. Or on the other hand, they might be looking for the man who is their drug supplier. You see, it's used in very different ways. And... Uh, if I say to Andrew, because he's done such a good job, you're the man. Y'all understand that, right? But it's used again in a diff different way. And understand that there are some 25 different uses of man in the English dictionary. That's a lot, right? Now understand that son of man likewise has this kind of range of meanings. But the Lord used it to great advantage because he wanted to control how quickly he, the, the revelation about who he is would come, you see. And so actually in Matthew 16, this is where you have a beginning of more disclosure about the nature of the Son of Man. And so you'll see that in parallel versions, instead of saying, who do people say the Son of Man is? That parallel says, who do people say I am? Because son of man can actually be used as a, a substitute for talking about yourself. I. But what we are interested in is, of course, the title as we find it in Daniel chapter 7. Because this is about his authority. And so we've already looked at the scripture in Daniel 7, 14. Let's understand that the Jewish leaders knew what this meant. And so at his trial, so-called, the Lord Jesus answers, Yes, it is as you say. That is, I am who you say I am. But I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you've heard the blasphemy. They understood that this was actually a claim to divinity. So when you read Son of Man, it's not like it is in one of our Christmas carols, 
Son of Man referring to his humanity and Son of God referring to his deity. This is really the Son of Man that you're reading about in Daniel chapter 7. And understand that you and I need to know this Son of Man. Look at John chapter 5. This is after the episode where the Lord Jesus heals the man who was paralytic and could not move. He says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. That sounds good to me. He has crossed over from death to life. That sounds really good to me. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the sound of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. And you see how the Lord Jesus actually echoing back the passage we read in Daniel chapter 7. This is why this is important. He has the authority to give abundant life, to rescue us from death, to give us eternal life, to judge the living and the dead. You can run, but you can't hide. You ever heard that said? Well, this is true about the Son of Man. Let's understand the significance of being given abundant life. You'll remember that there was the uh, paralytic who was brought to him. And he healed the man. And he did this in order to teach those who were critical of him. So that you may know that the Son of Man, this man, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. Praise God. Now, we can ask God for healing. Doesn't mean that he is obliged to do it, but he can and he does. And there are plenty enough stories that we should be coming to this Son of Man. And then in Matthew chapter 12, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You know, we can get all bound up with rules. That's what we think of uh, about the Pharisees. They were legalists. But friends, let me tell you here, it is really for us, easy for us, to be legalistic and think that we are more righteous because we keep all the nice little rules that somebody else has decided for us. Well, this has been the season of Ramadan. Some of you know that I've had a, a doorway into ministry with Muslims, and let me tell you, Ramadan is a prison. They can dress it up as much as they like, but not, not eating from dawn to dusk. That's pretty desperate. It impairs your ability to work. I know that. If you want to know more about that, I'll tell you about that. And then thinking that because you recite endless prayers, that somehow that impresses God. Okay? It does not impress God that we're here. What impresses God is when our hearts are right. And when we are here listening and saying, Lord, what is it that you want? to hear. How do you want me to respond in obedience? And so we don't need to be afraid because we break some little rule. We live in the liberty that we have in Jesus. Not that we are negligent, but let's understand that the Son of Man indeed has the authority to judge. 
but he is also the Savior who has shed his lifeblood so that you and I can come freely into his presence. Now we know that there is coming a day when you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now some folk will say, man, don't try and scare me and don't try and scare my kids. Well, let me tell you, if I said to Lynn, Lynn, you've got uh, a deadly form of cancer and I stopped there, that would be sad. But if I said, Lynn, you do have a deadly form of cancer and have the cure. Isn't that wonderful? And so that's what the scriptures tell us. That we do have a deadly form of disease that is killing us. But praise God, we also have the cure. So is that a scare tactic? No, it isn't. Thanks for telling me the truth that my immortal soul is in jeopardy, but there is an answer. It is not simply condemning. In fact, it's not condemning at all. It's about recognizing the reality of the mess we're in and recognizing that God in His grace has says, come, and I will pull you out of it. But you have to receive it on His terms. And let's understand that Jesus is coming back. Sometimes we forget. Now the Lord may take us to him. It's one way or the other. We must stand before him. At that time the sun, sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. And so, friends, please don't be afraid. Be ready. Be ready. How difficult is it? Do you need someone to help you this morning? Well, those who will come forward as the prayer team can help you, grab hold of me, grab hold of Pastor Rob, grab hold of someone else who's sitting here. Yes, you can be ready and assured that the promise of Jesus is true. Your sins indeed will be forgiven. You will be given safe passage and you will have the joy of the journey. So let's reevaluate our life priorities about what we worry about, what we are preoccupied with. John chapter 6, the Lord is saying, do not work for food that spoils. This is after he has fed the multitude. But work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. This one that we've heard about in Daniel chapter 7. On him, God the Father has placed a seal of approval. Only he can grant us safe passage. Only he can guide us on the treacherous journey and take us safe home. But let's understand that this one does it at the cost of his own life. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Unbelievable idea, don't you think? That here we have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who wants to serve us. He serves us, and he serves us in a way that no one else can. And Jesus redeems us, us, buys us back, because we are in chains. We were singing about that earlier. Do you believe it? 
We are in chains without him. Destined for a lost eternity without hope and without God is how Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 2. And so here's the invitation. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. How do we do that? We do that by simply saying, Jesus, I trust you. I take you at your word that by putting my trust in you, I will be forgiven of my sins. I will experience the reality of Almighty God in my life by your spirit. And at the last day, I will be raised in glory. And so we come to communion. And this is an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. This is his table. And to say, yes, you are Lord of all. Yes, I admit that I wanted you on my terms, me in the driver's seat. But I know that that doesn't work. And admit, yes, I have pride, not understanding the impossible mountain of saving myself. Because unfortunately, friends, you can sit in a comfortable pew or nice padded chair your life long and still think you're going to be good enough. You're fooling yourself. Quite frankly, would you want to go to a place where it's too e so easy to mess up as it is here now? No, I want a better place where it's finally freed from the presence of sin. And I'm able to experience the glory of my God and all that he has created me to be. And then we won't worry about some of the stuff that gets in the way so easily right now. So Colleen, do you, do you have any struggles with people? Don't answer that. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, right? The bumps and the bruises of life. The things that pull us down, that discourage us. And let's admit that there are areas in my life that are still not open to his lordship. That there's stuff that he still needs to clean up. So we celebrate the Lord's Supper until he comes. Those are the words that we have from the Apostle Paul. And here's another word from Aramaic, Maranatha, which means, Lord, come. And so as we partake, we are saying, yes, Jesus, you come, and you finish what you began at your first coming. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. He gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember. He took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I'll ask the, those who are serving to come forward. When you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you eat or drink in an unworthy manner, you are guilty against the body and blood of Jesus. And let's understand, friends, that none of us are perfect. This is not about being good enough to partake. None of us are good enough to partake. It's about having received the gift of forgiveness and wanting to line our lives up before the Lord. Examine yourself before eating of the bread and drinking the cup. And Jesus will be pleased if you come with an honest heart about where you are, knowing the joy of his love and forgiveness, the Son of Man who has all authority and power.
So Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for what you are doing in our lives and through our lives, indeed all around us. For there is not a benefit in this world that does not flow directly from the reality of Almighty God. And thank you, Lord, for giving a human face to Almighty God, so that as was said long ago, he that has seen me has seen the Father. And we see, O Lord, the love of God in the most remarkable way. We thank you for having instituted this ritual remembrance by which we stop and reflect once again on how much it cost you to buy us abundant life, eternal life, the gift of forgiveness. Thank you, O Lord, that we stand or fall before you. And thank you that you do take us safe home. Thank you that you walk every step of this life with us. We thank you for your profound love. Amen.